The views and opinions expressed on Unlock Your Wealth Radio are those of the host, guests, and callers only and are not necessarily the views of Unlock Your Wealth Radio, Heather Wagonalls, or Success Publishing International. Worried about retirement? Want to travel the world or just be around to watch your kids grow up but you can't because you're drowning in debt? Now you can with Heather Wagonhalls and the Keys to Riches powered by Unlock Your Wealth Radio. Heather will show you how to stop chasing your wallet, eliminate debt, lose financial stress, and live the life of your dreams. If you truly ever wanted to have more, do more, be and give back more, now's your chance. Listen weekly to hear what others are doing to manage their money better with these proven strategies for building wealth with the Keys to Riches financial philosophy. Now, here's your host, Heather Wagonhalls. Welcome to the show, everyone. This part of Keys to Riches Radio, powered by Unlock Your Wealth Radio, is sponsored by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at keystoriches.com forward slash free book and click on the link to over 150,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Thank you so much for stopping by. I am your purveyor of prosperity, Heather Wagon Halls, flanked by the maestro of moolah, Michael Terry. Hey, folks. And we we are going to help you get your money mind right on today's show with the following great features. So what is our key this week? Hope for the best, plan for the worst. Yay! Six. Yes, so we are going to learn all about the financial fire escape. Ah. Remember this? <laughs> and, and you use the hotel. To, yes. And I've never looked at those hotel layouts. Ever. Ever. Apparently. <laughs> Have you looked at one since I brought it up? Probably not. But you are going next week, right? So you, next week you could look. Yeah. <laughs> Check it out. We're going to be doing a lot of traveling. And, and since you're traveling in the middle of the radio show season, I would appreciate you knowing how to get out of a burning building. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah. Not a bad idea. And we have a fabulous moolah word of the day. Talk about leveraging our loafers. We're going to talk about leverage and how it's used in the corporate world. And then, of course, because I hope for the best plan for the worst is about dealing with our biology-based money management philosophies and addressing things before they happen and why it's important to hope for the best but plan for the worst. Uh, I've got a really great money drama, and I think I've talked about this one before, about when I was working on the book and the discussion on the Cracking Your Money Code book between my um, my editor and I, and he couldn't figure out, he thought that this was superfluous, talking about hope for the best, plan for the worst, because he just didn't understand it until I gave him this fabulous example, and then it sunk in for him. <laughs> and so I'm going to share the example with you guys. It could go either way. It could be on the husband's side or the wife's side in this scenario. But if you have the despised, loathed, uncared for mother-in-law, then uh, you'll want to tune in <laughs> to this part of the show. Because this is where we're going to learn all about how to address handling that and keeping your marriage intact. Yeah, which is important. Yes. If you like being married, or even if you don't like being married, but like your stuff and don't want to live on half, it's important that you pay attention to this segment. So if you can't live on half uh, and don't want even more evil hatred, vileness between you and your spouse, then you got to tune into the second half for the money drama on this on today's show. Let's talk about moolah words, shall we? You got it. 
I have one. And uh, it has to do, like I always talk about people leveraging their loafers on the show, financing the Ferragamos, if you will, and why we shouldn't do that because it's um, uh, it's money against the cause as opposed to money for the cause. So you can borrow when it makes sense if it makes you money. And if the arbitrage, meaning when I say arbitrage, that should be a good moolah word, but the difference between what you pay out in interest in borrowed funds, like say a mortgage for an investment property, um, is less than the moolah you'll be bringing in. If you can make it a cash flow positive scenario, then that's healthy leverage and that's okay. But when you finance your Ferragamos and you're paying interest on a depreciating asset that doesn't, not only is it a depreciating asset, meaning it loses value each and every day, just like a car when you drive it off the lot, not only is it doing that, it's not making you money either. Yeah. Unless you're renting out your shoes to somebody else, creating income to offset that payment, which, you know, and there's a new handbag thing on the internet. No, seriously, there's a luxury handbag swap thing where you can rent a luxury handbag for like a special event. And that just seems, and, and it's like wildly popular. Yeah. Like, and I just, I could not imagine doing that. I don't know. I have a cootie complex, so it's part of it. But, you know, I, I just couldn't imagine renting rent, somebody's handbag. You're renting software now. I mean, you lease software now. Well, yeah, when it's deployed from the web, that software is a service. Yeah. yeah, it makes it more affordable for people, you know. But it's just like it's like drug companies. You know, they spend all this money in research and development. How do you recoup that? And not just for the, quote, greedy corporation. I mean, corporations are built on shareholders. Yeah. So the people that invested want their money back, plus a, a, a bump for, yeah. you know, for taking the risk to begin with. Yeah. And that's realistic. That's that's a totally realistic proposition. Mm-hmm. Because if Joe Blow, average everyday consumer, lent you money so you could start your business at whatever level, it could be a hundred bucks to go buy soap to, to be a car wash guy. He's going to want to get his money back. Yeah. Plus he's going to want to get, you know, pay interest for taking the risk. And that's a fair proposition. Sure. It's a fair proposition. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. So, so that's why, you know, sometimes buying software, you know, like you and I are just discussing this piece of software. It's $700. And I was like, how can we get around it? Is there a way we can do this without spending 700 bucks? Yeah. But you know, if we, and if we don't find a solution, we're going to have to bite the bullet and pay the seven hundred bucks, yeah. which is okay because that seven hundred that we go that we spend is going to make us way more than seven hundred dollars, right. you know. And so, so that's you know one of the evaluations that you have to think of. My husband has all these great one liners. I mean, he's been in business forever, and uh, as long as I've been alive, just about. And and one of the things that he always says is, it's not how much it costs, it's how much it can make you. And so if it can make you more than it costs you, then it might be worthwhile, even if it might pinch cash flow. You got to figure out how to work it in. You know, no, 700 bucks isn't going to make or break cash flow for us, but it is a large chunk that we have to make sure that are we going to be able to, how many units are we going to have to sell in order to make that money back before we can start being profitable? You know what I mean? And is there another piece of software that, that does similar things? That right. And, and the challenge is, and like, if this was Mac compatible, I would have already stroked a check and not even yeah. worried about it. But because it's a Windows thing and I'm the Windows kid and you're the Mac guy, yeah. you yeah. know, um, I'd have to bring my laptop over every time you wanted to right. fart around with it. Right. You know, and which 
is what's going to happen likely if we can't find the max solution. Um, but, uh, if we could simplify it, then we would, Sure. you know, so we have to think about that chart. So all that was notwithstanding, let's talk about our moolah word, which is leveraged buyout or an LBO. And a leveraged buyout is the acquisition of another company using a significant amount of borrowed money to meet the cost of acquisition. All right. And so we're talking about, and the cost of acquisition is purchase price. So whether you're leveraging your loafers or if you are um, uh, buying an investment property, everybody has, you know, some sort of a number. So a leveraged buyout is when one company goes to buy another company. The assets of the company being acquired, meaning what you're buying, those assets are often used as collateral for the loans, along with the assets of acquiring the company, of the acquiring company. So the buyer is putting up some of his company assets as well as assets of the company they're acquiring. Mm -hmm. So you've got it on both sides of the fence. Um, And again, you know, who's ever lending the money wants skin in the game. So this is how they get enough skin in the game. So, so that the, that the person borrowing the money has a vested interest enough of a vested interest and in skin in the game to pay the note back. Mm-hmm. So they, so the lender doesn't have to seize the assets because lenders just want to make money. They don't want to buy your company. They don't want to repossess your car or foreclose on your home. You know, I'm a lender. I don't want your stuff. I just want you to pay me what you owe me. Yeah. And then some. Well, yeah. So the and then some is part of what you owe me. I want you to pay you what I lent you and pay me for the privilege of, uh, of having the money Correct. when you needed it most. Correct. And I want you to meet your commitment to me. So the purpose of leveraged files is, is to allow companies to make large acquisitions without having to commit a lot of capital. And I don't know if you remember in the news a few years back, they kept talking about Apple and why Apple was looking like a primary target for a buyout because it had such a huge capital cash position. Everybody wanted to get in on that. Mm-hmm. You know, and when you put up cash for leverage, I mean, that's like, that's as good as gold. And a lender would like that, you know, that you have assets to post because then that's the easiest thing to liquidate in the event, you know, of a repossession. They don't have to sell anything. They just have to cash in the cash. They have to transfer the asset from one account to another, as opposed to having to reclaim the house or reclaim the car and then figure out how to sell it and all of that crap and deal with all of that stuff. So it was looking ripe for a buyout and a leveraged buyout would have been great for Apple years ago. And I don't, and I just remember this, you know, off the top of my head as I'm talking about this, but, um, leveraged buyouts, if we just break it down and thanks to investopedia.com for this great definition in an LBO, there is usually a ratio of 90% debt to 10% equity. Because of this high debt to equity ratio, the bonds issued in the buyout are usually not investment grade and they're referred to as junk bonds. Further, many people regard LBOs as an especially ruthless predatory tactic. This is because it's usually not sanctioned by the target company. And further, it's seen as ironic that a company's success in terms of assets on the balance sheet can be used against it as collateral by a hostile company. Hmm. So you've also probably heard of hostile takeovers. The reason why LBOs are conducted uh, are for three main reasons. The first is to take a public company private. Okay. Um, the second is to spin off a portion of an existing business by selling it. So maybe like a company it has 
three divisions and two are profitable and one isn't, maybe it was absorbed or bought out from something else, but never really performed. But it would be better if it wasn't attached You know how bureaucracy just gets thicker and thicker the more things come together. And so maybe by streamlining it and by breaking it off into its own thing, it can be, you know, a viable company on its own. And the third case is to transfer private property, as in the case with a change in small business ownership. However, it is usually a requirement that the acquired company or entity in each scenario is profitable and growing. And so, you know, years ago when Apple was coming out with all these iPads and all these great products and things, that that's when it, you know, looked like it was expanding and growing. And that's, and it had a huge cash position because it's a worldwide company, you know, their stuff is everywhere. And so it was looking like, They were ripe for that opportunity based on their growth and stuff like that at the time. Uh, They've been uh, notorious in history, especially in the 1980s, when several prominent buyouts led to eventual bankruptcy of the acquired companies. And it mostly was due to the leverage ratio. And some of those were almost one to one, which means it was leveraged about 100 percent. And the interest payments were so large that the company's operating cash flow. So here we go. Ability to repay. uh, They were unable to meet the obligation. And one of the largest LBOs on record was the acquisition of Hotel Corporation of America, HCA by Kohlberg, Kravitz and Company, uh, Bain and Company, and Merrill Lynch in 2006. The three companies paid around $33 billion with a B as in, boy, that's a lot of money for the acquisition. They are process, they uh, are, the processes are complicated and do take a while to complete. Um, JAB Holding Company, a private firm that invests in luxury goods, coffee, and healthcare companies initiated an LBO of Krispy Kremes in May of 2016. They were slated to purchase the company for $1.5 billion, which in- included $350 million of leveraged loan and $150 million of regal- revolving credit provided by the Barclays Investment Bank. However, Krispy Kreme had debt on its balance sheet that needed to be sold, and Barclays was, re- was required to add an additional half a percent interest rate in order to make it more attractive, and it made it much more compli- complicated, and it almost Almost didn't close. It did go through in July of 2016, but that took an awfully long time, mm-hmm. you know, for it to get done. So, um, and it almost didn't go through because complications, moving parts, things like that. You know, wh- what is the current company's leverage position? You know, can that be absorbed? Can it be paid off? You know, like how do you do that moving forward? Do we get rid of existing debt in order to make this viable for us in our acquisition? So it's just interesting. So when you hear of leveraged buyouts, you know, leveraged buyouts may be something that, you know, a CEO or owner of a company just wants out for whatever reason, you know, radical change in lifestyle, health conditions, things like that. And and they ask for it. And then sometimes it's hostile. You know, they're, they're growing at such a great rate that they're attractive to some of these larger companies that want to swallow them up. Mm -hmm. Um, Or it's a competitor that says, Hey, you know what? I'd rather buy out my competition than compete with it and just bring them into the fold so I can take their customer base, you know? And so they, you have an outside party, evaluate the company and they raise the debt to buy them out and they do it in a hostile fashion. So so the hostility does exist. It's not just a term that's used to describe. But not every leveraged buyout is hostile. I mean, you know, somebody can say, come buy me out. Yeah. And, 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 and if I said, hey, you know what? I've got this, you know, complete life change and I, I can't run my company full time anymore. Right. And I don't have, 
you know, a succession plan. I don't have somebody that can be me in my place to, to, to make this go at the rate it's going or whatever. And I can solicit a leveraged buyout and say, you know, and I can go to you, my competitor and say, Hey, buy me out. And you're like, all right, but maybe you don't have the cash to do it. But because my company is in a good position, you can utilize my assets to help do that for me. So it doesn't, it, it can be amicable. It doesn't have to be hostile, yeah. but you know, in the situations hostile, some hostile takeovers have been leveraged in order to make it happen, but it doesn't have to be, you know, I mean, you, you could be just buying companies left and right without it being a leveraged buyout, but it yeah. could still be a hostile takeover. You just come in and quietly absorb enough shares and then boom, you get a majority position, you know, and you can do that surreptitiously on the sly. Yeah you know, and create your momentum. It doesn't have to be an all at once kind of random deal where, and and you wouldn't necessarily want to do it that way. You'd want to have it as a negotiated closed door deal if it's a public company, because you don't want investor confidence to be shaken. And if you start buying big blocks and the price starts to move on you, it might make some investors nervous. And they might, I mean, which would be good for the person buying it out, but you don't want to devalue your stock unnecessarily. I mean, it's like, it's like I said, it's complex. It's very complex. It's complex. But first, let's talk about this week's show, shall we? Um, and as a note, since we're talking about leverage and buying things, I might want to point you into the direction of this week's Unlock Your Wealth radio show because we have a phenomenal topic and it's all about applying for leverage so you can become a homeowner or a real estate investor. And so we're going to give you the specific tools. If you remember correctly, our which key is remember real estate? Oh boy. Pop quiz. Is it 11 or 12? Too far. 10? Ding, 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 ding. Mm. No, wait a minute. Is it 10? Yes. No seasonal exceptions. Create credit is nine. And then remember real estate is 10. I almost forgot my own keys. Whoops. So yeah, so our 10th key in the keys to riches is remember real estate. And we always talk about things from the um, 30,000 foot view. And we talk about affordability ratios and the four layers of risk. But this particular topic-driven show on Unlock Your Wealth Radio this week is really key for you to be listening to because we're going to break it down. And I've never done this before, but we're also going to have a great strategy sheet for you that you can download at unlockyourwealthradio.com that'll be a loan document checklist. But we're going to go through the loan document check checklist, what documents are required and what layer of risk they uh, fit in to um, allay um, any concerns an underwriter may have. So he can give you that big A-plus rubber stamp of approval so you can get the best interest rate for your particular loan scenario. So we're going to go through all of that and in, 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 in detail on this week's Unlock Your Wealth radio show. So all about how to qualify for the best mortgage possible. And I've, I've never done that before, not in all these years that the show's been on, okay. which has been what? So 2003 and we're now in 2017. So 14 years. Yeah. In 14 years, we've never gone through the specifics. So we're going to do this for the first time. It's kind of a crazy thing. I don't know how I never did that, but we never did that. But uh, it just, you know, it came up in one of our updates and I thought, you know what, this is great. This needs to be expanded upon and and explained. You know, why are underwriters asking for all this documentation? Why does my loan officer need all of this just to say yes? Can't they look at my credit and say yes? And so we'll go through why it's a little bit more involved for you. (laughs) 
Now, let's get to our keys. But first, this segment of Keys to Riches, powered by Unlock Your Wealth Radio, is sponsored by KeepMyID.org, the only service that actually prevents identity theft. All others are just monitoring services. Port your credit on lockdown for Keys to Riches radio listeners by visiting our website at KeysToRiches.com forward slash KeepMyID and click on the link to start protecting your financial future right now. Remember to use promo code WAGS. We're in our sixth key. So we're approaching the halfway point in our keys to riches financial uh, philosophy. And for those of you who are joining us the first time, for the first time, welcome to Keys to Riches Radio. We are so glad to have you. And uh, so the keys to riches is a financial philosophy that teaches you how to think like the rich and be in control of your own money. It also gives you specific techniques to create or fix your credit, eliminate debt, save and invest all while transforming your current financial habits into healthy money management skills. And we do this one key at a time, one week at a time here at Keys to Riches Radio and hope for the best plan for the worst. So this helps take what we know about biology-based money management and helps us deploy it even further. And this is a critical key because, you know, you always hear people talking about success and about we have to be optimistic. It's important for us to always be optimistic. Just, you know, put on your smile, ignore negativity, but you can't because negativity is all around us. And everybody says, you know, I don't have a plan B because, you know, failure is not an option. Well, I mean, that's the way I thought. I was, I was very fortunate. I landed on my feet. Right. I never had a plan B. Right. And, and that's okay for a minute. (laughs) However, We like to think that that's the way to go, but what happens is that we actually still think about it. We can say failure is not an option all day long, but failure is a very real option. And if you ever find yourself getting pinched or not quite accomplishing what it is that you say you want, we have to remember that the brain can only focus on things consciously, um, seven to nine things plus or minus two. And our subconscious is focusing on billions of bits of information. And so even though you want to be Mr. Happy Go Lucky and, you know, everything's coming up roses on the outside, you know, that doesn't mean that your subconscious isn't ruminating about it. And let me just tell you, with our natural negativity bias, and remember, the I do is the first part of our brain that processes information, our instinctive brain, the initial decision officer. He's looking for trouble. That's what he does. That's his job is to hunt for the negative. And so the biggest thing that is our challenge and why this key exists is because once we find trouble or our plan A doesn't work out and we are stuck in a crisis, what happens? We lose resources. We lose our ability to think logically when we get under emotional or instinctive duress. And when we start dumping chemicals into our body and we start going into fight, fleas, or free, uh, fight, fleas, (laughs) I was fighting fleas just the other day. Pains in the ass. So freeze, as in chili, freeze, play possum, or flea. Flea, E-E with a double E, not an E-A. 
So when we get in there, we know biologically that our body shuts down our axis to that third level of thinking in our three amigos. And so we can't do this. And so what happens when we get in an emergent situation that we haven't created a plan for? Uh, what happens is that um, that uh, we get... Um, uh, we start re- reacting emotionally or instinctively. And so we're doing things that may not be in our best interest. And if, you know, if, if it's being reactionary to a, a loved one, that um, we could create duress in our relationships, our familial relationships. So that's part of the problem. So Uh, We have to take a moment out and think about things because what happens is even though we don't consciously focus on the negative uh, and focus on things, you know, like nobody wants to talk about life insurance or estate planning or wills or things like that. But the very likelihood of you dying is there. I can tell you, actually, it's not an if you die. It's a when you die. It's a given. And not talking about it only creates a bigger problem because this is what we talk about when we are in our um, uh, uh, practicing the, the three R's. Or I'm sorry, it's one of our five areas of concern. I don't know what I'm thinking of. Um, in one of our five areas of concerns is our final area of concern is asset preservation. That's about building legacies. Yeah. Okay. Um, at courts make bad decisions. They don't know family dynamics. They don't know that you have three kids and one's a black sheep and you don't want them to get anything. But that might be the most vocal one in court. And so perhaps the judge rules in that kid's favor and not the others because you didn't create an estate plan. Um, But there are bigger challenges. What about what happens if you don't die, but you're incapacitated and you can't work? Then what happens? What happens if you have to take on the care of an indigent spouse or a special needs child? And that leads us to our, you know, um, uh, money drama for the day, actually. So. It's not that we uh, uh, aren't properly addressing negative things. It's that we move away from things that we fear. And But if we have more brain power ruminating about what can go wrong because we haven't created a strategy, it means less effort and less ability to focus and concentrate in that conscious mind that's trying to be disciplined and religious about achieving our goals. So we have to create our financial fire escape plan. We have to know what to do in an emergency because hormones will dump. We will have a biological response and we won't respond effectively. Which leads me to my story. So if you go to keystoriches.com and you look up financial fire escape plan, you'll be able to see what you should be preparing for in the event of an emergency situation. So you got to have a plan, you know, just like a fire escape plan, you know, helps you get out of a burning building. If you have an emergency, you need to know what the plan is or you have to have one in place. Like that's why I asked you about the hotel thing the last time, you know, uh, in the event of emergency, do you know? what to do in a hotel. No. Well, you need to read the back of your door and find out where the fire escape is and what they recommend is the emergency plan. So you know it while you're calm and you can remember it when you're under duress. But if you don't use it, practice it, identify where things are, you're not going to be able to implement it. And this is the, you know, the challenge I asked, you know, I said, so, you know, I, so my editor was telling me that, that he didn't understand it. He thought that this was unneeded. 
He's like, no, you know, if they're already creating a financial plan and I'm like, but you've got to take into consideration financial emergencies and taking on the care of an indigent, uh, an indigent parent is a likelihood. And I said, you know, I said, do you have a mother-in-law? And he says, yes. And I said, how well do you like her? And I said, I like her a lot more that she's in Minnesota. And I said, great. So, um, if she gets hurt, I said, do you still have a father-in-law? And he's like, no, he's gone. And I'm like, so, so if she, if, if she gets hurt and can't take care of herself anymore, but she can't afford assisted living, she's coming to live with you. Right. And he looked at me like I had five heads and he goes, no. And I was like, so when your wife is all freaked out about this, because it happened all of a sudden and you haven't discussed this with her to create a plan that benefits both of you and you tell her you don't want her mom who bore her moving in, how do you think that's going to (laughs) go? And he's still like blank stare. And I'm like, I'm hearing divorce papers being typed up, aren't you? Click, 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 click. That's the typewriter I hear going. And he just looked at me and he's like, okay, well, maybe this is a valuable part of this. Because if you think about it, you know, your wife or your husband might realize in a sane, calm place that living with you is not the right answer, that assisted living is the way to go. But if you try to tell somebody that once their parent has been injured and there more goes on when your parent is hurt, it's not just about them becoming hurt. When a parent dies, you start to come to terms with your own mortality because until then we're invincible. Think about how many times we drive 90 miles an hour. We're young, especially when we're teenagers and our prefrontal cortex hasn't finished developing saying, uh, driving 90 miles an hour is not a good idea, especially on worn out tires. You know, that like guy doesn't even talk to us. So we have to really think about these things. So for your knowledge, um, so for your financial fire escape plan and all of your key statement, key affirmation and key action items, please visit the website at keystoriches.com. And for the maestro of Mulan, Michael Terry, I'm Heather Wagonhalls. Now go out and unlock your wealth today. UnlockYourWealthRadio.com is produced by Heather Wagonhalls and the Unlock Your Wealth Foundation. UnlockYourWealthRadio.com and its affiliates are copyrighted 2017 with all rights reserved. For more information on the Keys to Riches Financial Wellness Series, please visit our website at www.unlockyourwealth.com.